This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you their reporting and the stories behind the coverage as the Montana State Legislature meets in an unprecedented session. Things are moving quickly as we get toward the end of the legislative session with rumors of it wrapping up by the end of this month. Up against the trend's middle deadline this week, lawmakers pushed through three bills to implement a, rec- implement a recreational marijuana program. Now, obviously, not all three of those can become law. So, Holly, can you walk us through the logic there? Yeah, so what we had this week is the legislature was up against a transmittal deadline where bills had to move from whatever body they started, in this case, the House, to the next one to stay alive. So there's some acknowledgement. Obviously, there won't be three bills implementing three different recreational marijuana programs at the end of this, but there's not really consensus on what the best proposal should be. So the goal, and Republican leadership said this in a caucus that they held before the House voted on these bills, was let's get these all through, let's get them over to the Senate, and then that's where we're going to do all the work to figure out what actually happens here. Uh, Did the Democrats caucus as well before the vote? Yeah, so they did. And I went with the Democrats one, Seaborn Larson, our reporter who normally covers this, and I am a pretty poor substitute for him on this today when he's tied up with some other stuff. But I went and hung out with the Democrats in their caucus. And they're, you know, as a caucus in the house they're much more in step with each other than i would say the republicans are on the house side on this obviously there's three republican bills which shows kind of where they're at right now but with democrats mainly their goal was to try to bring whatever vehicle is going to go through with marijuana implementation closer back to initiative 190 which is what voters approved when they legalized marijuana and the main thing they're looking for there is where the uh, where the revenues from the program will go. So two of these proposals have a 20% tax, one's on retail sales, one will be at the wholesale level. The initiative originally put a lot of that money towards, you know, conservation, public lands access, that sort of thing. And that's not really what we're seeing reflected in the proposals right now. So Democrats were trying to push more toward that. And we saw amendments to that effect in the House, but they weren't successful. So we have three bills right now competing in the House or in the Senate that came from the House. Um, What's next for these bills? So it sounds like just today the Senate decided that they're going to put together a select committee to work on these bills When they were over in the House, it was a pretty interesting and not really that I've ever seen before a system where they had hearings both in the House Taxation Committee and then in the House Business and Labor Committee because, you know, these are pretty broad bills and they're kind of in both of those buckets. So it sounds like the Senate's appointing a select committee that's going to take them up. Okay, thanks, Holly. So um, a lot to keep track of there as recreational marijuana works its way through the Capitol. Um, and since we have you sitting in for Seaborn today, um, you know, he's talked before about the lawsuit before the state Supreme Court challenging a new law that gives the governor direct appointment power when there's a vacancy for a district court or state Supreme Court judge position. Um, there's been some major news on that front um, with two judges stepping aside. Can you catch us up on that? 
Yeah, that's Seaborn's actually working on that story right now, which is why you got me here. Um, so what happened? You know, we talked about this Seaborn did before Senate Bill 140 passed. It's legislation that gives the governor direct appointment power when there's judicial vacancies. There was a less than 24 hour turnaround for a lawsuit to be filed challenging that that went straight to the Supreme Court. So we had uh, Chief Justice Mike McGrath step aside, recuse himself. And he said later that he did that because he'd actually talked to Republican Governor Greg Gianforte and Lieutenant Governor Kristen Juris about trying to urge them not to bring this legislation. So he'd already sort of you know weighed in and tipped his hat as to how he felt about it. So he stepped aside. The court appointed Butte Silverbow District Court Judge Kirk Kruger. And then emails surfaced that showed that there was a poll actually sent out by the Supreme Court Administrator Beth McLaughlin to almost every judge, it looks like, in Montana, from what we can tell, asking their opinion on Senate Bill 140 for the Montana Judges Association. And so Kruger was one of the judges who replied and said that he didn't like the idea of Senate Bill 140. So he stepped aside after that email, those emails surfaced. Um, So sort of where we're at now, the Supreme Court is going to hear this case with just six justices, which creates a pretty interesting scenario because it it opens the opportunity for them to be split evenly, um, which you don't get with seven justices. Eugene Forte and um, Republican Attorney General Austin Knudsen, who's representing Gene Forte in this situation, are pretty aggressive in their frustrations with this. Um, They want to find out, you know, we don't know if we have all the emails. We don't know if we can see all the judges that have possibly weighed in. The ones that we've been able to look at are judges that hit a reply all. And so there might be judges outside that email chain. The six Supreme Court justices who are on the case have said that they haven't weighed in on this, but we don't have maybe all the documents out there that would be you know, available to see on this. So it's kind of kind of interesting situation. I think Gianforte's got a little bit more time to reply in the case. So that'll be next steps there. But we also have the legislature too today um, took up resolutions to enter into the case. So a lot of stuff shaking there. Um, so what do we know what the next steps are for the lawsuit? I think seeing, you know, the legislature looks like they're going to, with Republican support, uh, join into it and then waiting for how GM Forte responds and you getting more information. We've got records requesting to be able to see what these emails are, what's out there. So just a little bit of wait and see at this point. Thanks, Holly. Um, it sounds like listeners should be on the lookout for some new reporting from Seaborn on um, this situation. Uh, Tom. This week, uh, you tracked a bill that would have originally allowed state agencies to charge the public for commenting on environmental documents, um, but that provision was pulled off the bill, right? Can Can you tell us about um, the situation with that bill? Uh, sure, Tom. So this bill came up, um, I guess, maybe last week in House Natural Resources. It was uh, from Representative Denley Logie, is a Republican from St. Regis. Um, basically... What he said is that um, House Bill 695 um, would do two things. It would um, give people who wanted to comment on um, environmental impact states statements, um, which are you know big environmental review documents, um, a stake in the game if they're going to going to comment. Um, and he said it would also dissuade 
uh, form letters, which is something we see a lot from um, like environmental groups will um, do a big campaign saying, hey, sign this form letter um, and you can send it into your state agency and voice your opposition against certain projects. Um, so the the whole um, genesis of this was, was pretty clear. Um, he, he was upfront about what he wanted to accomplish with it. Um, obviously, the idea of uh, allowing the charging of a fee um, to com- make a public comment, um, that didn't um, necessarily resonate well with, with a lot of lawmakers. Um, you, you saw um, people like uh, uh, Missoula Democrat Marilyn Marler said this was um, possibly one of the worst bills she's seen all session. And then, you know, other Democrats said it was just, you know, anti-free speech. Um, you know, even representative Paul Fielder, who's a, um, you know, very conservative Republican from Thompson Falls. He, his take on it was actually that he had never seen a state agency that if you gave them the opportunity to charge a fee that they wouldn't charge a fee. Um, so he is one of the ones who actually voted against it, but it passed out of committee, um, came to the floor last or early or this week. Um, so just to back up a little bit, um, maybe we should talk a little bit about what an environmental impact statement is. Um, so under um, state law, Montana Environmental Policy Act, you have um, basically any time the state does a project that they can say this is going to have a significant um, environmental impact, um, they have to prepare what's called an environmental impact statement. So what that is, it's it's a review of the project Um make sure it meets um, and complies with environmental laws. Um, Often it's called a look before you leap document is the best way to describe it. So it's um, what the, what are the predicted environmental impacts of a mining or timber or, you know, anything like that type of project and how are we going to mitigate it to come to comply with environmental law? What are some of the alternatives for that? So, you know, you see big things like big mines, mines ex- mine expansions are, are, are some of the areas where you see this. And obviously, um, you know, conservation groups in, in the world of social media and um, the speed of the Internet are able to generate a lot of comments um, one way or the other on, on these projects. Um, do you mind, um, I know you mentioned a little bit of opposition amongst the legislative body, but do you mind um, going back to when the bill was heard in committee and touch on um, some of the opposition testimony and some of the proponent testimony, if there was any. Yeah. So um, at first this came up in committee. Um, the The only person who uh, testified in, in person in favor of the bill was um, Alan Olson. Um, he's executive director of the Montana Petroleum Association. Um, but he was, he said he was sort of there in his personal capacity um, and what he said is that, you know, when we have these projects in mining or timber, they get hundreds and hundreds of form letters. Um, they're time consuming and expensive for the state to deal with. Um, and the other thing he said was, um, you know, there's a provision in this bill that would allow um, someone who wants to get a waiver of a fee to comment to uh, present the hardship um, for the state agency to consider and they could waive or partially waive the fee. Um, you know, you know that the opponents sort of balked at that. They said, "Well, if you have a fee 
um, and somebody that doesn't have the means to pay a fee, are they really going to have the means to take the time to do the waiver for the fee? Um, and also the bill didn't really say how much the fee would be. Um, it would, it, it just sort of threw out there that, Hey, you can do a fee. It didn't say if that was $5 or $500 to comment on, on these documents, many of them, which can cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to draft. So, um, you know, obviously you saw environmental groups come out against this. Um, Derf Johnson was a lobbyist with um, the Montana Environmental Information Center, um, basically likened the bill to curing dandruff by decapitation. Um, and really what they were arguing is, you know, that this bill is unconstitutional. Uh, Montanans and, and others under the Montana state constitution have a right to participate in their government, um, have their voices heard. And, and that's what the opponent said is that this didn't, there was not a compelling reason for the state to silence uh, people or to have them charge a fee for this. But as we know, as journalists, though, there are lots of things that people might be surprised that the government can charge a fee for. I think one thing we run into a lot is public documents. Um, the government can charge um, a per page fee for, for getting public documents um, to recoup their costs. So the concept isn't unheard of, but certainly I've never seen any, any proposal like this before. You said the bill passed out of committee. Has it gotten a vote on the House floor yet? Sure. So we we did all that talking about what the bill was uh, to build up to what the bill is now. Um, Logie brought an amendment on the floor. He said, yeah, you know, this started out pretty controversial. He cut the entire bill, all the controversial stuff out of it, um, and left in one little section that says for $50, you can go to arbitration over a public water dispute. So the bill passed easily through the house. Um, it is no longer has this provision in it. And so that's where we're at now with it. But um, I think a lot of people sort of looked at, at, at the bill as it was initially written. And it sounds like um, uh, brought their concerns Logie's way and it's no longer, uh, no longer how it is. And that's how it works sometimes when they're, they're up at the legislature. So that's where we're at. So Tom, in sessions past, uh, we've covered the public lands rally that, uh, you know, fills the Capitol in normal years. Uh, this year is anything but normal. Um, but there was a rally and it looked a lot different. Um, maybe fill us in on uh, what that was like this year. Sure, Tom. So I, I think you and I, this is what our fourth session. Yeah. Um, and the past three sessions, we have covered um, the public lands rally, which is also always a spectacle, if anything, whether you agree with the people that are there or not. It, it's an impressive display of force and advocacy, mm -hmm. um, ju just totally objectively looking at it. Uh, in past sessions, you know, we've just had shoulder to shoulder people crammed into the rotunda um, on the third floor, looking into the rotunda, people on the steps. I mean, it just the fire marshal would probably have some issues with what we've seen in the past. Um, you know, speakers really getting people riled up um, mm -hmm. about legislation and, and different things. Um, COVID-19 hits um, this session. We're going to it and really there's no, no route, no big rallies to speak of. We have seen some, a few things outside, uh, but pretty limited to what we've seen in the past. And um, this one featured, uh, you know, a handful of speakers um, talking about legislation and trying to get people, people boomed up. Um, you know, I think uh, it's pretty clear that even um, from what we saw online that, <laughs> you know, people wish they could have been in, in the legislate at the legislature 
telling their stories and that um, they understand that the impact of being online is, is limited. So it, it, it sort of uh, had that undertone, I would say, the whole time listening to it. But, you know, they're still trying to get their message out. Gene Forte on Thursday signed a bill that will put Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks conservation easements under the Montana Land Board. Um, this reverses a policy under former Governor Steve Bullock that ended up before the Montana Supreme Court. Um, what's the history behind this bill, Tom? Sure. Um, so, Tom, in 2018, there was an easement called the Horse Creek Conservation Easement um, that came before the land board. Um, at that time, Bullock was the only Democrat on the board um, as the governor and the rest were all Republicans. Um, Attorney General Tim Fox, uh, Corey Stapleton, Secretary of State, uh, State Auditor Matt Rosendale, and Superintendent of Public Instruction, Elsie Arnson. Um, sort of when this bill was moving through FWP and then the Montana Fish and Wildlife Commission, there were some rumbles about um, some op- some late opposition that came up. Um, there's a split of state on the bill, meaning uh, on the, the property, meaning that um, one family owns the surface rights and a different family owns the mineral rights. Um people that own the mineral rights basically came and said, well, we were concerned that this conservation easement on the surface rights will somehow compromise our mineral rights. Um, there was also some issues, I guess, with um, the appraisal. There was some suspicion of it, I think, on some of the, the board members. Uh, the You know, the family, the Stenson family that brought this up really, um, I think, worked hard to try to um, dispel a lot of the opposition. Um, but still, there was, um, you know, I think a lot of, um, I guess, animosity <laughs> that happened towards, um, you know, sort of the, the relationship between um, uh, rural Montana um, landowners, FWP, the land board, Republicans and Democrats. Um, you know, that's obviously a very diverse group, but uh, because these conservation easements are private land deals, there's a property rights issue at the same time. Um, you know, it, it the Horse Creek easement was was quite a bit of money. It was over $6 million. So um, how that shook out, though, um, three of the the four, three of the five land board members voted to delay action on that easement. Bullock um, took a reading of the law that basically said that um, land purchases from Fish, Wildlife, and Parks have to go to the land board, but easements aren't, weren't included in that. Uh, Tim Fox wrote an attorney general's opinion and, and ripped Bullock pretty hard heavily publicly saying, you know, um, the governor circumvented the law and um, they went to the Supreme court and the Supreme court ended up siding with, uh, with Bullock on that. So um, basically what that decision said and set in motion was that conservation easements could be finalized by the uh, Montana fish and wildlife commission and no longer go to the land board. So 2019 rolls around, um, you know, I think Republicans felt that was a bit of a power grab on Bullock's part. I think that's pretty clear. And that ended up uh, in a piece of legislation similar to what we saw with uh, with this year. Um, that went through and Bullock vetoed it. Um, this year it went through again. It was SB 115 from Senator Keith Regeer from Kalispell. He's a Republican. And uh, Gianforte signed it. So... The, the land board, um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was due to this this sort of situation. The land board has become a topic in statewide campaigns, hasn't it? 
Sure. So the land board is always a topic in statewide campaigns. Um, I, I think sometimes that, um, in my experience, the land board can actually be pretty boring, for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, you know, I think I looked at one point and um, sort of after this whole Horse Creek dust up, um, the land board went like, I, I think, over two years without a single dissenting vote on any topic. And that sort of spoke to, you know, the types of things that were coming before. It was pretty non-controversial. Um, but I think definitely you saw this case um, because Matt Rosendale um, decided to run against uh, Senator John Tester. Um, you saw this this particular instance come up and start to question uh, Rosendale's um, public access commitment. Um, you know, he got hit pretty hard over this one. And um, I think it, it continued to be an issue moving forward. Um, I think that it's safe to say, though, the, these issues are pretty complicated, Um land deals anyway. So uh, that's pretty hard to capture in, in a short commercial. Um, it's hard for me to write about in a concise way. <laughs> I've written about this case so many times that um, I don't even um, know what, what it looks like anymore. Um, but so this signing of SB 115 will mean that um, now all, basically all conservation easements over a million dollars, FWP conservation easements will go back to the land board um, that means there's going to be a final vote on them um, with an elected body rather than an appointed body. Um, supporters of the bill say that's a good thing. Uh, it's going to add accountability um, to the process, which can be, you know, multi-million dollar land deals. Um, but, you know, you saw opponents that said, um, you know, look at what happened with Horse Creek and uh, why would any landowner want to want to do this um, if it could get vetoed at the last moment. So I guess we'll keep our eye on the land board and we'll see um what their thoughts are on these easements moving forward. Thanks, Tom. Um, Holly, I'd like to hop back over to you. Um, we saw the legislature um, vote to override uh, uh, a veto of Gene Fortes this year. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the Senate did today. The House hasn't voted yet, um, but that will be the next steps. The Senate actually voted 50 to 0 unanimously to override this veto. And it's on legislation that would give the legislature the ability to object to administrative rules from agencies through a process that would come from, I think, resolutions during the regular session. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, I, pretty interesting. I haven't covered a veto override effort during the session. I've done some that come through polls after the session, but you need two thirds of each chamber. So 50-0 in the House uh, or Senate, so they're good to go there. Um, the vote in the House on this bill, I think they got maybe 96 to 4 or something like that, but a really a strong margin in the House this vote cleared or this bill cleared by. So looks like it would be fairly easy for them to get two-thirds there. Um, I was looking through, you know, there hasn't been a veto override in – a significant amount of time. I think at least 16 years, if not longer, I've seen, it looks like maybe 2003 or 1999 might be the last time when the legislature actually did successfully override a veto. So not something that happens very often. And this is Gene Forte's first, um, first veto of legislation. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's another episode of Big Sky Lead. If you want to keep hearing this, uh, make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.